Welcome to Christ Church Anglican. We hope that you were blessed by today's sermon. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. You know, the lectionary, the way it's built, you don't necessarily get to hear about the wise men coming every year. And uh, I just think that's so rude. Uh, they went to all that trouble, you know, and uh, then we don't read about them every year. And I think the kids ought to know the wise men came. And, you know, we, we hide the wise men until uh, Epiphany on the 6th of January. Then we sneak them around to the front of the, uh, the manger so that they, we know that they're a part of things. But I always try to sneak in a sermon on the wise men during the year because uh, I, I just think they deserve it. <laughs> and besides that, today on uh, this renewal of our covenant with God, it is a perfect day for us to learn from them about what it means to be faithful follower of Jesus Christ. So if you would, go ahead and pull out your Bibles. There's one in front of you in the pew, if you'd like to pull that one out. Uh, and just go ahead, we're not there yet, but go ahead and turn to Matthew chapter 2, beginning with the first verse, and we'll get to that in a minute here. Uh, I want to start, though, by noting that Warren Buffett, the renowned investor, once said the difference between successful people and really successful people is that really successful people say no to almost everything. And one can also say in another way the same thing. Really successful people only say yes to a few very important things. And while Buffett may have been speaking of financial matters, uh, the same is true for spiritual matters. Again and again, Holy Scripture counsels us not to be double-minded, but to focus on living in God's kingdom, to pay attention to what is good and true and right. Highly successful saints focus like a laser, and their lives show it. Now, this gospel of the wise men, the magi, seeking to find and worship Jesus, is a time for us to look at, this is something we learned in Sunday school as kids. And you, you might wonder, what does this have to do with Warren Buffett uh, and his advice? But it actually has quite a lot to do with it. Because in today's gospel, we're confronted with a series of challenges about our single-minded focus about our devotion to Jesus, and about our desire to follow him. How passionately do you really want to know Christ? How passionately do you really want to know Christ? Whose man, whose woman are you? To whom are you loyal? Are you willing to worship Jesus through following him and sacrificing to him? These are important questions, and they can change the whole trajectory of your life based on your answers. Now, this wonderful story of the Magi, the wise men, as you will recall, has so many wonderful moments, and I mean, it's the greatest plot and dramatic line you can follow. It has these moments of intimacy, Moments of just drama, it has mystery and celebration, there's the threat of real danger from the hands of evil men, 
There's supernatural intervention from God who guides those who will listen and follow him. There is a star that has aroused curiosity for 2,000 years. And there are the gifts from the wise men that signify Jesus is born to be king, priest, and savior. And at the heart of all this drama, there is the simple moving story of men reaching out to God and God reaching out to them. If we desire to be successful disciples, the wise men can teach us how to follow Christ, how to seek for him, and how to worship him. So let's dive on in. Go ahead and look at your Bible. This is chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. We've come to worship him. That's why they came. Travel was not an easy matter at the time of Christ's birth. So how did the wise men make it all the way to Bethlehem? They said yes to the very important thing, finding and worshiping Jesus. And they stayed focused like a laser on that. But as we see in verse 3, not everyone wanted to worship Jesus. When Herod heard the king, Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. Herod had no intention of surrendering his throne. This is nothing but a threat to his personal comfort, his way of life. And the people of Jerusalem were probably afraid the status quo would be challenged and their lives would be made uncomfortable. I was mentioning this at the first service. Think about how the stock market always reacts to change. Seldom, if ever, do they react well to change. Even when we think, this is going to be a great change, the stock market freaks out. Like, ah, change, eee, scary. <laughs> and it happens every time because they're afraid, just like the people of Jerusalem were, of the status quo being challenged. And one of the points Matthew is making is that God's plans are going to happen regardless of how we feel about them. Very often we tend to think the world is so much more powerful, so much greater even than God. We won't normally admit this, but that's how we behave. Okay, With the world as our focus and God as a sidebar in our lives. Do, whose kingdom do we really live for most of the time? It's the kingdom of this world that gets most of our attention. Yeah. We pay, pay close attention to the world, and occasionally we have a thought or two about God. But look at what's happening here. God's purposes are going to be worked out in spite of how people respond to them. How Herod feels about things really doesn't matter. How the people of Jerusalem feel about things really doesn't matter. God is working his purpose out. And this is still true today. God is in charge. His will is going to be done. That doesn't mean that everyone is going to do God's will. Uh, it's obvious. I mean, that's where pain and suffering come from, is that everyone doesn't do God's will. But it does mean that God's purpose will not be thwarted by their disobedience or by ours 
He will also not be thwarted by their indifference or our indifference. The question Matthew frames for the wise men and Herod and us is will we stand in opposition to God or will we align ourselves with God's plans? Who does it make a difference to? To us. God's going to continue with what God's going to do. But the question is, is what are we going to do? Are we going to be aligned with God? Are we going to be loyal to God's purposes or to someone else's? It matters. Let's look at one of the most misused passages in Scripture. This is Romans 8, 28. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. Now, people misquote this all the time and misuse it all the time. Oh, well, all things work together for good. You know, it's all going to be fine. No, it's not. (laughs) Uh, It's going to be fine for those who love God and are loyal to his purpose. But this doesn't say that as we know, for those God loves, all things work together for good. God loves everyone. But all things don't work together for good for everyone. In essence, this passage is talking about those who love God and are on board with his plans. Those whose lives are loyal to God. Okay? That's those for whom all things work together for good. The ones who are loyal to God. So where do your loyalties lie? Are you for God or are you for the world? Don't fool yourself into thinking that you can be a little of both. Double-minded. Okay? I'm sure that is what the chief priests and the scribes thought they could do. In fact, look at verses 4 through 6. Once again, Matthew chapter 2. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people... He inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Okay, these are what the uh, scribes and the prophets, scribes and the Pharisees, the teachers, knew about the prophecy about Jesus. Now, notice something. The wise men were willing to travel a great distance and seek out Jesus. But the priests and scribes were living just down the road from Bethlehem. I mean, literally, a day's walk. And even without the star to guide them, they had God's word. And it's evident they knew God's word, because when needed, they could quote it. Passage from Micah. Yet, not one of them said to the wise men, Hey, can I tag along with you all? Uh, Can I catch a ride just down there for the day to worship the Lord? Not one single person in the whole temple complex asked if they could share it in worshiping Jesus. Which just is amazing. And I think there are two reasons for that. First of all, they weren't God's men. They were Herod's men. Their loyalties were already determined. Second... They had religion, but they didn't have faith. They knew all the rituals of the temple, but they didn't know God. Let me tell you something, brothers and sisters. If you go to a priest, one in God, and they start talking to you about religion, run away. 
okay? Religion ought to help you grow in your relationship with God. But religion is a means to an end. The end is relationship with God, the Father, and with his Son, Jesus Christ. As a matter of fact, that is exactly how Jesus in Scripture defines eternal life. Knowing God the Father and his Son, Jesus. Religion can become an obstacle to relationship. Don't ever let that happen. Okay? I hope and pray that everything we do here strengthens our relationship with Jesus. That is the purpose for true religion, is to strengthen your relationship with Jesus. And I hope and pray that all that we do here does that. And if it doesn't, then we need to cut it out because we're wasting our time. Okay? These heirs of Abraham, Moses, and David, heirs of men who had lived their lives in an intimate relationship with their creator, they had squandered their inheritance. Let us not do the same. And had nothing left but empty ritual. That's why Jesus called them whited sepulchers, whitewashed tombs. You know, they look all pretty and shiny on the outside, but on the inside they're rotten, decaying, stinky, you know. And that's what happens when God becomes an afterthought rather than our highest priority. But in contrast, and without even understanding it all, the wise men wanted whatever God was willing to give them. They were seeking the king. They made sacrifices to find the king. And they were rewarded for their efforts. They were God's men. Even though they fully, didn't fully understand what that meant. They were God's men. Now what about you? Whose man are you? Whose woman are you? If you say you're God's man, God's woman, and I hope you do, then you must also be one who is willing to devote your life and make sacrifices to seek, find, and know King Jesus. Let's take a moment and see what Scripture tells us about what it looks like when you're God's man or God's woman who wants to draw closer to Jesus. First of all, there is joy. Matthew 2, 9 through 10. And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. I, I love that, exceedingly with great joy. They rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. They, these guys weren't just happy, they were delirious. Okay? Some translators say that the best way to express this in English is they jumped up and down rejoicing. Through the star, God has given these men a sign that they were drawing closer to the king. And of course, they're going to be out of their mind with joy to know they were getting nearer and nearer the king. I mean, woohoo! you know? Contrast that with the people in Jerusalem. No joy there. Only a troubling fear. When you're not God's man, then there's no joy in being close to God. Let me repeat that. When you're not God's man or God's woman, there is no joy in being close to God. Just like them, the people in Jerusalem, 
you're going to want to keep your distance from God. It's a good test for how you're doing in your walk. Do you rejoice in being in God's presence? What about you and me? When we gave our lives to Jesus, we were filled with God's Spirit. God is not just near us, He is in us. We have reason to rejoice every day. This is why Paul could say rejoice in everything, rejoice in all things. He's not saying rejoice because you broke your leg, but rejoice for the fact that even though you broke your leg, Jesus is with you. This is so much more important than the fact that you broke your leg. It's going to help you get through the broken leg too. Paul says in Philippians, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. We can wake up with joy knowing that God is with us. As we go through our day with all the ups and downs and good times and bad, we can rejoice that God is with us. And at the end of the day, after we've said our prayers and confessed our sins, we can rejoice that we are forgiven and we can go to sleep knowing that God is with us. So one sign that you're God's man, God's woman, is that God's presence in your life gives you joy. Another sign that you're God's man or woman is that you desire to worship him. Matthew 2, 11, verse 11, and going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshiped him. As we noted earlier, God the Father wants people to worship his son. St. Paul writes in Philippians, at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is the Lord to the glory of God the Father. Worshiping Jesus is the foundation on which our lives and God's kingdom are built. I remember reading a book from a guy in prison, and it was learning to worship that allowed him to actually have his life in prison transformed and actually allowed him to have a new life when he exited prison because his life became about focusing on Christ and worshiping Christ. And it changed everything in his life. Many people can praise Jesus as a great teacher and a wonderful moral example, but they refuse to worship him. And it offends them that they need a savior. They don't want to know that they can't fix their own problems. I love Father John's uh, quote. Actually, he's quoting someone else when he says this, and I don't remember who he's quoting, but as far as I'm concerned, he's, you know, it's Father John's quote. So he said, you can't be the solution if you're the problem. You can't fix yourself. But Jesus can. And the wise men had no trouble with this. They didn't even understand the full meaning of what they were doing, but they fell down and worshiped him. And the story of the wise men gives us another clue as to how we can worship God with our lives, because they sacrificed. They sacrificed to make the journey, and they sacrificed to give Jesus costly gifts. Matthew 2.11, then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. These weren't cheap, okay? So how is this worship? Well, when you give a sacrificial gift to Christ, it's a way of saying, and this is very important, I want you more than I want your gifts. Okay? What is the gift I receive? God. 
It's wonderful the blessings he gives me, the blessings he gives you. But the point is, God himself is the gift. And when you say to God, I want you more than I want your gifts, and by giving you what you don't need and I could use, I'm saying more earnestly and more authentically, you are my treasure, not these things. You are my God, not worldly wealth or power or fame. We get so confused sometimes by worshiping the gifts rather than the giver of the gifts. Sacrifice keeps us focused on the giver. And ultimately, that's worship. To make knowing Christ our highest priority and letting Him reign as King in our lives. It's a way of life. And believe it or not, we cannot outgive God. There is nothing we can sacrifice to Him that is more important to our lives than our relationship with God Himself. It's foolish to think otherwise. So everything he himself gives us is simply icing on the cake of being in a relationship with the creator of the universe who wants to be in relationship with us. So as we renew our covenant with God today, may we learn from the wise men. May we seek Jesus earnestly and rejoice in finding him and worshiping him with all of our hearts, our souls, our minds, and our strengths. And may we be the king's men and king's women that we were saved to be. The good work that we were prepared to be before the foundation of the world. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thanks for tuning in. For more information, feel free to visit us online at ccanglican.com. We hope you will join us again soon.